start recording. Yeah. All right, Sam, thank you. And we also saw that Jesus was truly human. He was fully human. And uh, we saw that, uh, we saw a lot of biblical evidences as to why we know that Jesus is human. Or uh, looking at the New Testament uh, evidence, we can show that and see that Jesus is truly human. Now, yesterday there was a question that was raised. <clears throat> I think it was by Sandra. She asked this question. Um, why did Jesus go and ask the father of the epileptic about how long he'd, uh, he'd had that epilepsy? Didn't Jesus know because he was God? Now, that's a question that can be raised about a lot of things that Jesus does when he, uh, or they, uh, Jesus did while he was on earth. For example, Jesus uh, thirsted. And now you can ask the question, now God doesn't thirst. Isn't he God? Yes, he is God, but he is human too. Um, why was Jesus sleeping in a boat or in the lower part of the boat? Because he was human. He was fully human. He was truly human. And he was really weary or tired. And that's why he fell asleep. But the next moment you see him getting up and then he's saying, peace be still. And uh, the winds and the waves obey him. And all the disciples look at him and they exclaim, what manner of a person is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So how is he able to do that? Because he is divine or he is truly God. Today we need to understand a very, very important topic. Uh, it is one of the tough, uh, toughest topics in systematic theology. And this is called the unity of the person of Christ. The unity of the person of Christ. Now, we are human beings and we just have one nature, that is human nature. But Jesus has two natures. He has a divine nature because he is truly God. He has a human nature because he is truly human. And the question that we need to ask today is for our better understanding of the person of Christ, and for our better understanding of the Bible and uh, most of the evidences that the Bible gives and what the Bible talks about, we need to understand this afternoon. How, these, how do these two natures come together in one person? So this afternoon, we're gonna be looking at the union of these two natures in one person, Jesus of Nazareth. Divine nature and human nature coming together in one person. This is not as easy as it sounds. Yesterday, we could do it uh, at a good pace, uh, and it was fairly easy for all of us to grasp the concepts because we were just looking at some biblical data. I'm not saying we are not going to look at biblical data today, but we need to interpret some of the biblical data and draw some conclusions from it. And so we need to put our thinking caps on, but more than put, uh, putting our thinking caps on, I would request all of you to sit with an attitude of prayer because this is holy ground. This is understanding the person of Christ better. And how do these two natures come together? So as you uh, sit here as well, please keep me in prayers. Uh, I, although I teach theology all the time, this is one of the things that I'm really fearful of to talk about because I don't wanna misrepresent Christ. I don't want to misrepresent the author and the perfecter of our faith. So uh, this is a topic that is 
tough for any theologian or anybody who's teaching it. This is a topic that needs to be handled with the utmost care. This is a topic where you need to use the most precise and incisive words. Otherwise, you could go wrong. And that's, that's how much on the line you're walking, you could fall on either side of heresy. So please be in prayer for yourself and for me as well as we go through this important, significant topic of the unity of the person of Christ. Two natures coming together in one person. So I'm going to share my screen with you. We will follow along just like yesterday. Uh, we've lost a bit of time, but we hope we'll be able to cover and, uh, and uh, catch up in our session. Can you all see it? Yes. Okay, great. So here's a Latin phrase that is used, which is vere homo, vere dios, which means truly man and truly God. Now we'll study a little about uh, where that Latin phrase comes from, but it's talking about two natures in one person two natures in one person. We're also human beings. We have one nature and we are one person. But Jesus has two natures, divine nature and a human nature, but it is one person. Now, <clears throat> in trying to understand this, we need to look at how the people in the early church, how some of the preachers and some of the theologians, although they went wrong, they were trying to understand how these two natures would come together in the person of Jesus. How these two natures would come in union in one person. In trying to understand that, the early church went into a lot of heresies. Heresy is a wrong doctrine or a false doctrine. In fact, it is an aberration of the Orthodox Christian faith. So uh, although we could directly get into the biblical material about how these two natures come together, what I'd like to do uh, for you this afternoon is show you some early heresies, the earliest heresies about the person of Christ in the early church so that we can understand where they went wrong and we don't commit the same mistakes as well. So we try and understand the person of Christ, the core of the right doctrine by eliminating different possibilities or different heresies that people in the early church came up with. So I'm going to look at some of the heresies and we will go slow. And uh, again, like I said yesterday, I want you all to stop me right where you don't understand. There's an option of raising your hand here on Zoom or you may unmute yourself and ask me the question. I'm very comfortable once again to stop right there and clarify it. Um, but I want you all to uh, sit with an attentive mind because this is not easy. We will need to understand these things. And, and by the way, uh, theology is not a very easy subject, and especially Christology and this aspect of Christology is not very easy, but we need to understand it. Uh, God has given us good intelligence. We're all smart people. Uh, we have good degrees that God has given us. We've applied our minds into several things, uh, and we all have good jobs as well. And that's why we have good jobs, because we are able to apply our minds. So we can apply our mind to the glory of God as well here to understand the person of Christ. So I want you all to sit here with your thinking caps on once again, but also sit here prayerfully. 
Okay, so in the early church, there was the first heresy that came around, and that was called Docetism. That was called Docetism. It comes from the Greek word dokeo. The word dokeo in Greek means to seem or to appear. So what Docetism said was that Jesus did not actually have a human body. It was just a divine person, but he appeared like a man. Now notice uh, in the picture on the left, you see that Jesus is actually not there on the cross. Why? Because according to Satism, he did not have an actual human body that can be felt. Uh, they denied the reality of the body of Christ. Uh, it is an early form of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is an early heresy. And uh, you see part of the Greek word there is the word Gnosis, which means knowledge. Gnosticism, especially early Gnosticism, came around about the second century, but uh, towards the end of the first century, it was available and it was just taking the roots as well. Now, Gnosticism taught two very important things. Number one, that salvation is through mystical knowledge. Now, you see some aspects of it in certain cults and some religions. Number two, Gnosticism also taught that matter is evil. Any matter, human body, all of these are evil. And therefore, God cannot join himself with matter. And from this Gnosticism, the teachers of Docetism took some of these uh, aspects of their teachings and they went on to say that since God cannot unite himself with matter, which is necessarily evil, therefore the incarnation is a hoax. The incarnation, God becoming flesh, did not really happen. And therefore, Jesus was a phantom or a ghost. He did not really have a human body. You see where it's actually hitting? It is hitting right at the incarnation. Now, here is the point. If Jesus did not have a human body or did not have a human nature, it means he did not have a human body. He did not have a human soul. He did not have a human mind, which means that his death on the cross cannot have any good for us. In fact, he couldn't die on the cross. He couldn't suffer because he was not a man. And therefore, we don't have salvation. We have salvation because Jesus, as a man, as a God-man in fact, but he did in human nature, suffer and die instead of you and instead of me on the cross. But the Satan claims that he only appeared like a man or he only seemed like a man. Now, John the Apostle battled this particular doctrine. And uh, he also, uh, it, it was around Ephesus that he was trying to battle. And uh, he wrote against it in 1 John a lot, <clears throat> also a little bit in the Gospel of John. And he also uh, debunked another heretic by the name of Serenthus. You can read more about him. You can Google about him or take up any basic uh, book on church history. You will find Serenthus uh, when, when they talk about the citizen. But uh, the Apostle John, in beginning uh, 1 John, the first epistle of John, he went on to write, we saw that yesterday, right? He wrote, what our, what our eyes have seen, what we have touched, what our hands have handled, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and was manifested to us. Now, what is John saying here? John is refuting 
these people to Satism, who just said that Jesus appeared like a man, but he was not actually a man. He went on to refute them in his epistles, in particular uh, 1 John, and he went on to write that we could hear him, we could feel him, we could touch him. Like I said yesterday, for the Greeks, uh, touch is one of the best senses because it doesn't pass through any medium, and therefore you can know the reality of something by touching it. And John writes that we could handle him, we could touch him. And therefore, he was truly human. That's what John was writing uh, in, uh, in those days. So this is the earliest, one of the earliest heresies about the person of Christ. It's called Docetism. And we saw yesterday that the New Testament clearly affirms that Jesus had a human body. And that's why I gave you all those points. So that based on those points, you will see where the heresy is here and where they're going wrong. All right, is that clear? Yes? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, the second yes. one. The second one is called Arianism. Um, this is very important because this is different forms. So listen to me very, very carefully. It was actually started by uh, a person by the name of Arius, who, was, who went on to later become a bishop in Alexandria, Egypt. But when he actually started this heresy, he was just a presbyter in Alexandria. Arius went on to teach that the sun was not eternal. The sun is a created being. He is the highest of all beings. He is higher than angels. He is higher than all human beings. He is the highest of all created things, but he is not eternal. He is not divine. He is not equal to the Father. Sorry, can you repeat that? Repeat uh, what? From first, like I just didn't listen properly. Okay. Um, Jesus, or, or the second person of the Trinity, the Son, is a created being. He is not eternal, is what Arius taught. And Arius taught, based on a few verses, we don't want to get into that, but there is the right interpretation of those verses. Now, uh, now we teach Christology over, you know, over a few months. We are compressing all of that into, into a couple of hours, you know, in fact. So you, you will need to understand my plight as well in trying to teach this and trying to compress this in a couple of hours. So we can't get into all of these verses that he chose from the Bible and uh, try to debunk it by looking at the right interpretation of it. Uh, there is no time for all of that. I, we wish we could go into all that, but then you'll have to... Uh, we'll have to have about 10 hours for each class. We, we don't have that. But suffice it to say that uh, there, are, there are verses that uh, he picked on and uh, he didn't interpret them right. And we can interpret them right and understand what those verses are saying. But he taught based on a few verses that Jesus is a created being or rather uh, the second person of the Trinity, the son is a created being and he's not equal to the father. And... Um, um, he is the highest of all created beings granted, but he was not equal to the Father or he was not eternal. And therefore, he used the word homoiousius. You see the word homoiousius there. It is a Greek word. The word homos from the Greek word usia means nature or essence or subsistence or the stuff that you're made of 
So what uh, the son was actually of a similar nature with the father. The Bible says he was of the same essence or the exact same nature, very same nature of the father. But he said it's a similar nature. He's able to grant that he was of a similar nature, but he denied that Jesus was exactly of the same nature. We'll come to that. Now this uh, Arius the Presbyter was condemned at the Council of Nicaea in AD 325. Council of Nicaea was convened in a city called <clears throat> Nicaea, where about 200 bishops maimed from persecution from all over the world. They came to discuss the, the, actually the doctrine of the Trinity and in turn, uh, they also discussed about the, de uh, the deity of Christ. And Arius was publicly condemned, his teachings were condemned at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. Here is the Council of Nicaea. They debated uh, several things there and I wanna bring up for, this, for the purposes of this class, I wanna bring up a couple of things. They brought up Arius teaching and they said Arius taught that the son was homoousius or homoousius, which is he is of a similar nature with the father. And they debunked that, they rejected that teaching and they said that according to the Bible, the New Testament, the son is of the exact same nature as the, fa uh, as the father. And therefore they use the word homo -oseus. You see, there's just one difference there. And what is the difference? In English, it is the letter I, and in Greek, it is the letter iota. So now an iota can make a difference between orthodoxy and heresy is what we usually say. Uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't jettison even uh, a minor important aspect of theology because you could be moving from orthodoxy into heresy if you did that. So a one single Greek letter, iota, made all the difference there. He was able to grant and he was willing to grant that he is homoiosius, which is a similar nature, but the, the Council of Nicaea condemned him and uh, condemned his teaching and they said it is actually homoiosius, which is of the same nature of the father, the exact same nature of the father, which means he shares the very nature of the father. He shares the very essence of the father. The second uh, thing I'd like to highlight about this council is that there was a 29-year-old man by the name of Athanasius. Athanasius is uh, credited in church history to have clearly formulated the doctrine of the Trinity for the church. Athanasius uh, came to the Council of Nicaea. He later went on to become the Bishop of Alexandria, but he came as an assistant for another Bishop, Alexander, who was then the Bishop of Alexandria. Uh, but Athanasius, although he was very young, he, was, he had a sound mind, he was a good theologian, and he was a very powerful writer. So he went on to write a lot of things against Arius, and he was instrumental in the formulation of something called the Nicene Creed. And we'll see what Nicene Creed did. Here, I, I just captured a part of the Nicene Creed here. This is what they wrote in opposition to uh, a couple of heresies. I don't want to mention that one is called modalism or Sabellianism. We are not getting into that because it's not particularly about the person of Christ. It's about the doctrine of the Trinity, which the Council of Nicaea was trying to formulate clearly for the church. But here they were trying to condemn this Arianism that thought that Jesus was the highest created being. He was not eternal. 
and he and they were also trying to condemn that he was not of a similar nature with the father but he was of exact same nature as the father so this is what they wrote we believe in one god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth of all things visible and invisible and in g and in one lord jesus christ the only son of god begotten from the father god from god light from light true god from true god begotten not made and notice this of the same essence homo oseus or homo oseon as the father so that phrase they added in particular to uh, to repudiate and refute and debunk the doctrine uh, or the heresy of arianism remember arianism taught that he was of a similar nature with the father uh, the nicene creed affirmed that he was of the exact same essence exact same nature as the father can we move forward yes okay now after arius the presbyter was condemned in at the council of nicaea in 325 ad he did not stop our false teachings don't easily stop just with one condemnation so he went back and he went on to teach arianism and his churches also adopted uh arianism in and around alexandria it was spreading in the early church and uh, for about 50 years the the movement went on and that's why there was another council called the council of constantinople in about 8381 and to put an end to arianism once and for all they added one sentence or one phrase to the nicene creed remember the nicene creed here in the previous slide they added one phrase and they said this i'll read from the second sentence and in our lord jesus and in one lord jesus christ the only son of god begotten from the father before all ages beautiful phrase he was begotten of the father eternally he was eternally begotten is what they said this is again in opposition to what arius taught that he was not eternal that he is a created being and therefore is not eternal so in opposition to that to put an end to uh, arianism once and for all in church history they said he was begotten from the father before all ages god from god light from right uh, true god from true god begotten not made of the same essence as the father this is the council of constantinople 8381 then there was another doctrine which was connect uh, which was connected to arianism this is also a heresy and that is called subordinationism now listen to this very carefully subordinationism affirmed that the son was eternal by the way uh, let's go back i have a question for you guys um arianism can you tell me the modern form of arianism jehovah's witness very good philip jehovah's witnesses uh, is a modern version of arianism now notice uh, every heresy will have a modern version of it uh, so we need to be we need to be aware of what is that old heresy and how has it sprung up in a new form and who are the movements what are the movements that are taking the old heresies forward and all of that and that's why i'm bringing up all these things for our understanding um where were we subordinationism now subordinationism said that the son was eternal and divine both they affirmed that the son was eternal they affirmed that the son was divine but they taught 
that the son was inferior or subordinate in being or attributes to the father. So the son is eternal, the son is completely or truly divine, but in terms of attributes, in terms of being, he was subordinate to the father or inferior to the father is what subordinationism taught. Uh, we know that that is not the case. We see that in the New Testament that uh, the son has the exact same nature as the father. He is in no way inferior to the father in terms of ontology, in terms of essence. But in terms of function, there is a subordination because it is a voluntary submission that the son, uh, that the son exhibited when the son came in the form of man, when the son became man. So there's a voluntary submission that's a functional, uh, there, there's a functional subordination. There is no subordination in terms of essence. They were one in nature and therefore they all had the same attributes, exactly the same attributes. And uh, one was not inferior to the other. So that is a third heresy. heresy. That is called subordinationism. Then there's a fourth heresy that came up and this is called adoptionism. Um, that Jesus is an ordinary man. He was a human being. He lived as an ordinary man until his baptism. But at his baptism, God adopted him as his son and gave him some supernatural powers. And uh, he went on to become his unique son somehow. So this teaches that uh, he is not eternal. He was a created being once again. And he's not eternally God. Uh, he was not uh, begotten of the father but he was created and he was con uh, conferred with all these supernatural powers that's not what the new testament says but the early church in, in in the early church there was a heresy that rose up that is called adoptionism fifthly there was something called apollinarianism this was taught by a man by the name of apollinaris and that's why it's named after him apollinaris uh, said this that Christ had a human body. Christ had a human body, but he did not have. Just one moment. Okay. So he taught that Christ had a human body but he did not have a human mind or a human soul. Now notice, when you say that he had a human body and he did not have a human mind or a human soul, then you're saying that he was not fully human or he was not truly human. If he's not truly human, he cannot be our substitute on the cross. He cannot represent us before the Father. He cannot represent us in his death and he cannot even intercede for us. He also went on to say that uh, he did not have a human mind or a human soul, but his divine nature provided the mind for him. So Jesus had a human body. I have two chats here. I'll just. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll answer that question uh, later. I have a chat here. All right, so. Um, Apollinarianism taught that Jesus had a human body, 
but he had a divine mind and a divine nature, but he did not have a human mind or a human soul. Now that is denying the full humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So two councils, the Council of Alexandria, which is in about uh, 362 AD, and the Council of Constantinople, both of these councils condemned Apollinaris as a heretic, and Apollinarianism was condemned and rejected. Uh, one minute, uh, Raven. Raven, can you tell uh, the time period of these five heresies? I mean, if you have. Yeah, but all these happened hmm. around the Council of Nicaea, you know, a little hmm. around the Council of Nicaea. That's about 325 AD, hmm. going on to till the Council of Alexandria, about 362 AD. Okay. Uh, this, the next one is called Nestorianism. Nestorianism uh, was started by a man by the name of Nestorius, who was a preacher in Antioch. And he said that there are two separate persons in Christ. There is a divine person. Notice the figure here, the picture. And there's a human person. There are two persons in one body. And uh, that's how Jesus was, is what he taught. But when you look at the New Testament, the New Testament evidence does not say that there were two persons in one body. There are two natures in one person, in one body, but they were not two persons because you don't see uh, a conflict anywhere between the human person and the divine person in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. You also don't see any kind of a clash between two persons who were inside him. And the New in the New Testament, whenever Jesus spoke, he spoke in the singular, I am going to do this. He didn't say, we are going to do this. There were no two persons within him. So uh, Nestorianism was also condemned by the early church. Then you come to something called uh, monophysitism or Eutychism. Um, this was started by a man by the name of Eutychus of Constantinople. Uh, that's why it's called Eutychism or monophysitism. The, the word mono means uh, single and physis means nature. They were, talking, they were talking about one nature. These are called one nature people. They say that Christ had just one nature. And this is how it happened. The human nature was absorbed into the divine nature. In other words, the divine nature ate up the human nature, giving rise to a third nature, a new nature, a new kind of a nature. And therefore, Jesus was not truly God or truly man. These two natures came together and evolved into a third nature. And uh, they're called one nature people. And in the modern day church, you have varying forms of it. You have uh, the Syrian Jacobite church that still believes in monophysites. You also have the Coptic Orthodox church in Egypt that still believes in um, uh, Eutychism. And you also have uh, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, usually from the African countries, uh, it's still pre uh, prevalent in. Ethiopian Orthodox Church also still believes monophysitism or eutychism, which is just one nature. Now, before I move further, I, I want to, again, uh, get your attention to all of the heresies just very quickly. I know these were seven or eight of them. Uh, it's easy to lose track, so I want to do it for you again. 
uh, not each of them in its entirety, but just uh, the definitions of it and what they were. Docetism comes from dokeo, which means to seem or appear. So they went on to say that Jesus was not truly human. He only appeared like a man. Arianism taught that uh, uh, Jesus was the highest of all created things, but he was a created being. He was not equal to the Father or he was not eternal. Then subordinationism taught that the Son, although he was eternal and divine, he was inferior or subordinate to the Father in terms of his person or in terms of his being, and he was also inferior in terms of the attributes. Adoptionism, it said that Jesus was an ordinary man. He was conferred with powers at his baptism, supernatural powers, and he was adopted to be the son at his baptism. Apollinarianism said that Jesus had a human body but did not have a human soul or a human mind. It was provided by the divine nature. So he had a human body but a divine mind and a divine nature. Nestorianism taught that there were two separate persons in Christ, one person who is a divine person, the other person who is a human person. So there was a kind of a schizophrenic Jesus, you see, um, who had two persons within his body. And then monophysitism or eutychism taught that uh, the divine nature just ate up or absorbed the human nature, giving rise to a third nature, a new nature. So Jesus was not truly human or truly divine. It gave rise to a third nature. Is it clear so far? Any questions? I'll pause for a minute. What is the problem of the monophytism that monophys? Um, what is the problem uh, that they raise? Uh, Jesus had just one nature, they say, which is a third kind of a nature that evolved from the divine nature absorbing the human nature. Do you think that's biblical? Um, for me, I just find it difficult. Um, um, I mean, how, how, how do you, how are they differentiating? Meaning absorb, meaning the human nature is completely gone or uh, how, how, um, how, how are they saying, what are the issues that they are raising uh, with this theory? The issue is that uh, there is no more human nature uh, and there is no more divine nature. These two come together and they give mm -hmm. rise to a third nature. It's like, I'll give you an example. It's like uh, you have a glass of water and you have a drop of ink and you put that drop of ink in the glass of water. You don't have pure ink or pure water. You have water mixed with ink, right? So that's giving rise to a third thing. It's a third liquid. In the same nature, in, in the same way, uh, monophysitism is saying there's just one nature, which is a third kind of a nature, which is a combination of both human and divine nature. So how is this being manifested in the Ethiopian Orthodox or Syrian Orthodox? Where do they uh, apply it and teach just, a heresy? They, that's, that's in their cardinal doctrines. It's in their doctrinal statement. Okay. Raven. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, like Abhi? I was asking before. Yeah, Abhijit. Okay. Abhi here. Uh, like I was asking before that uh, one of the Apollo thing, whatever, isn't that uh -huh. actually correct? I mean, no, 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 no. These are all heresies. Correct. 
we'll come to the orthodox position in a little while, but these are all heresies is what I'm saying. But I mean, the one actually, whatever you've written actually seems correct. Sorry, I, I, I don't know. I thought that was supposed yeah. to be right. See, the thing is, that's the problem with heresies. They seem almost right, but they're not right. Uh, okay, where's the almost part in that? Okay, sorry. Okay, uh, this is what you're looking at, right? Yes, and it seems correct. I don't know. Uh, what I'm part of it seems point. correct to you? Entirely everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll come to the we'll come to the right part, and then you'll find what is wrong with this. Okay, all right, cool. Any other questions? Okay, I'd like five people to answer this question, please. Did everybody understand things so far, or at least ninety-five percent of what we uh, discussed here? Yes. 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 We we heard you, whether we fully understood. I'm speaking for myself, Manoj. Okay. Is a different question. All right. Um, anybody else? Struggling to grasp what you have said. Okay. All to us. Others? Yeah, I, I think I, I got it. Um, uh, but uh, just the, the, the thing was uh, like, um, is this just uh, statements that this uh, they put up or is it basically no, these were... uh, any wrong uh, applications that they put in, in their life out of it? So basically it is just their, you know, their uh, motto or statement that they put, uh, example, um, God is not fully divine. I mean, Jesus is not fully divine. He's a mixture of both. Uh, but like, you know, there is no, um, I mean, it's a heresy because it's not right. Mm -hmm. uh, but what is the, what is the wrong that happens in their life? Uh, yeah, definitely their, their fundamentals are definitely wrong. But do they go in a different track because of it? I was just trying to understand that part. Oh, yeah. See, the more... Uh... It is the moment you go wrong about the person of Christ, it has a lot of implications uh, primarily for salvation because the moment you say that Christ is not fully God or truly God or truly man, it has a lot of implications for us as believers. If yeah, yeah, true, true. true. Got it, got it. Yeah, in terms of uh, his death on the cross, in terms of his substitutionary nature of the atonement, in terms of his resurrection from the dead, in terms of him being able to identify with us, all those things, you have a lot of implications. And I think it's just only uh, uh, a, short, a short step into getting into the wrong kind of a life as well, because you don't have the right Jesus, who's your model. Right, right. And now I'm able to understand, yeah. When you talked about salvation, yeah, if he's not uh, fully uh, human, then how does he understand our nature? I mean, how does he understand and, and uh, you know, understand us? Now the other, so I mean this came another question in mind um, was uh, now that uh, you talked about um, um, one of the I forgot which one it was where um, they said that after his birth uh, was when uh, he became uh, God God just oh. adopt 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 uh, adoptism adoptism. Yeah. Adopt, yeah, yeah. So, uh, then what do they say about the scriptures, which you know uh, tell uh, you know uh, the uh, scriptures, uh, uh, especially before his birth, when 
uh, the angel came to Mary and told, uh, you know, um, that he's going to be uh, born and Jesus is going to be born and he's God. And, uh, you know, uh, even though the uh, Old Testament, uh, which shows yeah. that Jesus, uh, I mean, God. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, so they say, they say that. Uh, you did. Okay, listen to Siddhis, please mute it, it seems. So they, they, they say that uh, uh, Jesus, all these are predictions about this man, Jesus, being conferred uh, these divine powers at baptism. So he, in some sense, becomes the son of God and is given all these supernatural powers uh, at his baptism. Now, see, they have their own ways of defending and we can't get into all of that. Um, uh, see, about each, each uh, heresy, there are lots of books written. Uh, we, we don't have to get into all of that. But the point is, there are some verses that, point, that they point to out of context. And they try to establish their position. And they try to teach it. But, but suffice it to say that we need to understand that the early church struggled. The early church, uh, with the right intentions, of course, some of them and others of them with the wrong intentions, they tried to struggle and understand how these two natures would come together in one person. So I'm first showing you the wrong things that they went to and the wrong uh, doctrines that came out of it in trying to understand that. And then we will come into the true Orthodox Christian doctrine about the union or the unity of the person of Christ. That's all I'm trying to do here. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Sir. Yeah. Any, anybody else? One last person. Are there any more heresies in them? Oh, yeah, there are lots more. Okay. There's something called Ebionism. There is something called Modalism or Sabellianism, all those things. Okay. I have a question. Who is this? Can you, this Shashank, Shashank, I can't hear you. Oh, I'm sorry, can you hear me now? Slightly better, but it's not very clear. I'm sorry. Yeah, can you hear me now? Nah? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, let me ask you a counter question. It's 325 AD we are talking about. So did they have the scripture in hand? Yes. Yeah, okay. So they were quoting scripture, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, but they were misinterpreting some of the verses. Now we don't want to get into what verses each okay. uh, heresy was uh, uh, you know, banking on or trying to misinterpret. There is no time for that. And uh, that is not the purpose of this session. I just wanted to show you some heresies and get to the right understanding of things. But, but it's the same as the New Testament as we have it today, what they yes, were. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay. It change. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we'll move on. So all these were heresies that were coming around that were being taught in the early, early church which were being condemned as people understood more and more about how these two natures come together. Now, there was a monumental historic council that was a turning point in the life of the church 
and it is one of the most important councils in church history. It was called Council of Chalcedon or Chalcedon as some people pronounce it. Chalcedon was a town very close to Constantinople uh, or modern day Istanbul um, in Turkey. So uh, in AD 451, there was this council that put out a statement, the Chalcedonian Creed as we call it, and they corrected all of these heresies and as they put out this statement, they were trying to show for the church in the most beautiful, precise language humanly possible. And I don't think we can get better than that. They were trying to put in the most clear, incisive language how these two natures come together in one person. Now notice, this is the Chalcedonian Creed. Uh, I'm going to read that for you. Uh, but I'm going to explain some of these words. Now listen to this very carefully. Now notice the language that they used and uh, notice the beauty of the theology that is there in this. This is the early church fathers at the Council of Chalcedon. This is a statement that they put out. We then following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the same perfect in Godhead, and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man. Now this is where the word veridios and very, or very homo comes from. That's a Latin phrase. This is truly God and truly man of a reasonable soul, which means a soul that is able to rationalize things and reason out things. A reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with us, which means of one nature with us, according to the manhood, which means he is truly man. He has a human nature. He is one with us in his human nature. In all things like unto us, without sin though, begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the Godhead, and these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God. Now, uh, the word, the mother, the phrase, the mother of God does not mean that uh, she, uh, she was the mother of the second person of the Trinity, in, in eternity. That's not what they mean. What they meant is that she bore the God-man Jesus. Uh, so the mother of God, according to the manhood, and one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures. Now, they used four words, and I will explain the words to you. They said inconfusedly. So how do these two natures come together? They come together inconfusedly, without confusion, unchangeably, without change, indivisibly, without division, inseparably, without separation. Now I'll come back to these four words, but remember these four words and let me read the rest of the creed. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved. What they're saying is just because these two natures come together in one person, that does not mean the divine nature loses its properties when it comes in contact with the human nature. The divine nature remains truly divine. The human nature remains truly human. So, uh, but, the ra but rather the property of each nature being preserved, conquering in one person and one, subsist uh, one subsistence. I will come to that. Not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same son and only begotten. God the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself taught us 
and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. Very clear, thick, dense statement. A beautiful creed though, that has a lot in it for our understanding. Now, when the Nicene Creed was written down, um, they are mentioning a few things and they are trying to refute the earlier heresies that we saw. For example, you see here that uh, it says that he was truly man of a reasonable soul. You see this here, of a reasonable soul and body, he was truly man, which means that they are trying to oppose the view of Apollinaris, who taught Apollinarianism. We just saw that. Uh, he taught that Christ did not have a human mind or a human soul. He just had a human body. But to refute him, they made the statement that he was truly man of a reasonable soul. He had a human soul along with a human body. And he was, he was uh, one in nature with us as a man, consubstantial according to the manhood, one in nature with us as a man. So they refuted Apollinarianism. And then they also tried to refute Nestorianism. Nestorianism said that there was a divine person, there was a human person, two persons in one body. Almost like a schizophrenic Jesus, I said, right? And, and they, uh, they tried to refute by saying that there is, uh, there is no divisibility. They are indivisible and they are inseparable in one person, they said. They were in one person and one subsistence, which is one nature. So they tried to refute by that sentence something called Nestorianism that we studied. And then the doctrine of monophysitism, it said that it gives rise to a third nature. The divine nature swallows up the human nature. It gives rise to a third nature. They said there is no changing of natures. There is no confusion in natures, giving rise to a third nature. The property of each nature being preserved is what they said. So each, uh, the property of each nature is clearly preserved. So this is the Chalcedonian definition that is orthodox Christian position about the person of Christ. The two natures coming together in one person. Now let me explain this to you, these four words that they used. The two natures come together in one person without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. What do they mean by that? Number one, they said, they come together without confusion or inconfusedly. Which means when the divine nature and human nature come together in one person, they don't mingle together like alcohol and water or like ink and water, giving rise to a third nature. There is no confusion of natures. And that's why they said the property of each nature being preserved. Which means although these two natures come together in one person, Jesus of Nazareth, the divine nature remains truly divine for eternity. The human nature remains truly human for eternity. It is not changed by coming into contact with the divine nature. And therefore, you have a truly divine nature. You have a truly human nature in the person of Jesus. Now notice also that because the human nature comes into contact with the divine nature, uh, the human nature does not become... Uh, 
a divine humanity or a divinized humanity. On the other hand, uh, because the human nature comes into contact with the divine nature, the divine nature does not become uh, a div uh, or a humanized deity. How do, we, how do you practically see that in the person of Christ? For example, um, okay, we'll come to that a little later, okay? Uh, we, we'll come to that in the last slide when we give certain examples. But for the moment, understand that these two natures come together and they remain two natures intact. They're not confused. They, they don't mingle with one another to give rise to the third nature. So they become, they are not confused, inconfusedly. The second word that is used is the word unchangeably. They come together and there is no change in the natures because they are coming together. Like I said, the human nature does not become uh, a deified humanity or the divine nature does not become humanized deity. The divine nature will remain divine. The human nature will remain human. There is no change in the natures. Then there is indivisibility. These two natures come together and they are, they are in union in the person of Christ. You can't divide them or separate them into two. If you, can, if you can separate them into two, you don't have Jesus of Nazareth. Because in Jesus of Nazareth, these two natures come together indivisibly. There is no division of natures. So now listen to this statement very carefully. You can make a distinction between two natures. You can't divide the two natures. By that I mean, if Jesus is thirsty, we can say that Jesus did thirst in his human nature or with respect to his human nature. If Jesus is able to calm the storm, we can say that Jesus uh, calmed the storm with respect to his divine nature. So we can make a distinction. We can't divide those two natures. And inseparably, they come together and, and they cannot be separated into two, like, uh, like Nestorianism says. These are two separate persons. No, they come together in one union. So they, these two natures come together in one person, that is Jesus, without confusion, without change, without division, and without separation. And they said uh, the distinction of natures by no means taking away the union, because you're able to distinguish the human nature and the divine nature, it does not mean that they are not in union with one another. It doesn't take away the union, but rather the property of each nature is preserved and they all come in one person and one subsistence is what is the word used. The word subsistence, uh, subsistence in the Greek was hypostasis and that's from where you get this word hypostatic union. What is hypostatic union? Hypostatic union simply means the union of two natures, divine nature and human nature in one person, that is Jesus. So next time you hear the word hypostatic union, all that the theologians are saying is that there is a union of two natures, divine nature and a human nature coming together in one person, that is Jesus. That is hypostatic union. Now, remember these four words when you think about the two natures coming together. They come together without confusion, inconfusedly, without change, without division, without separation. Now, how does this work out in the New Testament writings? 
is how do we understand this? Now, this is very, very important, and I hope this clarifies a lot of things for us. Now, listen to this very carefully, please, for the next 20, 25 minutes. One nature does some things that the other nature does not do. Notice here, one, there are two natures in Christ. One nature does something that the other nature does not do. For example, when we are talking about Jesus' human nature, we can say that he ascended into heaven. In regard to human nature, he is localized because he's a human, he's localized. Uh, he is in one place at one time in his human nature. And that's why we can say, as regards his human nature, he ascended into heaven and he is no longer in this world. But with respect to his divine nature, we can say that Jesus is present everywhere. And that's why he said, where two or three have gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. And he also told the disciples in the Great Commission, as we call it, lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. So with respect to his human nature, he is localized. With respect to his divine nature, he is everywhere. He is omnipresent. Um, you could also say the same thing about his age. Uh, the New Testament writers write this, especially the Gospel of Luke. We read that yesterday. And Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. With respect to his human nature, he had a beginning. He was born in Bethlehem. And with that as a point of reference, he was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. But as regards his divine nature, he is eternal. He didn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He eternally existed. So notice here again, one nature does some things that the other nature does not do. In the same way here, Jesus was tired and he was weak, but also that was in, in his human nature, but in his divine nature, he was omnipotent. He was all powerful. Now, particularly striking is one particular incident that, we, that is mentioned to us in the Gospels. I mentioned this already, that Jesus is sleeping in the stern of the boat, uh, presumably because he was weary, he was, uh, he was tired, and he put his head on a pillow and he was sleeping in the stern of the boat. Why was he sleeping? He was sleeping because he was truly human. He was sleeping because it is with respect to his human, human nature, uh, he is sleeping. But the disciples go and wake him up and he comes up on, on to the top of the boat and he looks at the wings and the waves and he says, peace be still. As regards his divine nature, he is able to stop the storm and the winds. And that's why they look at him and they say, what manner of a person is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The question here, when Jesus was sleeping in the stern of the boat, was he at the same time continually carrying along all things by the power of his word? Was he sustaining everything and all things in the universe by the power of his word? The answer is absolutely yes. In his divine nature, he was upholding everything by the power of his word. But in his human nature, as regards human nature, he was asleep in a boat. The same thing when he was born. Now, the wise men came from the east and they worshipped this baby Jesus. Is it right for them to worship him? Yes, because he is truly God. 
although he was born as a baby and he's just a little baby, an infant, uh, he was truly God and that's why he could be worshipped. And as a small baby, although he was a small baby there, do you think at that time in his divine nature, he was upholding the entire universe by the power of his word? The answer is absolutely yes. So as regards his divine nature, he does certain things that the human nature does not do. As regards his human nature, he does certain things that his divine nature does not do. Now this answers Sandra's question that she raised yesterday. Uh, when Jesus went and asked the father of the epileptic, uh, how long has your son had this? It is a genuine question because as regards his human nature, he did not know the answer and he wanted to gain that information from the father of the epileptic. But as regards his divine nature, he went on to heal that individual. So one nature does some things that the other nature does not do. Now, notice the Chalcedonian definition, go back to it. They said that the, the property of each nature being preserved. Now, this is where we say they come together without confusion. The divine nature remains divine. The human nature remains human. And therefore, there's no confusion giving rise to a third nature. And Jesus does things and did things in one nature, which the other nature did not do. Um, we also come to his death. And we can say that as regards his human nature, he died. He died in his human nature. But with respect to his divine nature, he did not die. And it's a contradiction to say that God can die. God cannot die. In his divine nature, he cannot die. But when he died, his physical body was buried and his human soul departed from his body. So he died in his human nature, but in his divine nature, he cannot die. He was still upholding the entire universe by the power of his word. When he bore the wrath of God on the cross, what happened then? as our substitute. Now, is it possible for the divine nature to bear the divine wrath? No, that's, that's a very difficult thing to even think about. But Jesus in his human nature, he bore the wrath of God in his own body, substituting himself in your place and in my place. But Raven, it is one person, isn't it? You have both the human nature and the divine nature coming together in one person. So how is it possible that he is able to do things in one nature without the other nature uh, in the process doing the same thing? The answer is, I don't know. It is a mystery. This is a mystery of incarnation. But I, but I do want to say this from scripture, and I want to be very, very careful in my language when I say this. Even though the divine nature of Jesus did not die and cannot die, and only the human nature of Jesus died, because the person of Jesus died, and he has two natures, these two natures somehow shared in that experience. That's all I want to say. Anything more than that, you would be going into heresy and into the danger of it. Let me, now, let me say that again. When Jesus died, when Jesus bore the wrath of God in his own body, all I can say is this, 
because he has two natures. Although he died in his human nature, because he has two natures, they both the natures somehow shared in that experience because he is one person. Beyond that, I don't want to say anything because we don't have so much of understanding. We are not given that kind of an understanding. The secret things belong to the Lord. The incarnation is a mystery to man. And Josh McDowell said, if God really became man, it's bound to leave the human mind in mystery. And it is. You're seeing it live right now, even as I teach it and you listen to it. So you have one nature does something and the other nature does not do the same thing. Um, the second point, anything one nature does, the whole person of Christ does. Now notice the difference. The first point I said, if one nature does something, the other nature does not do. And that's why we make a distinction in natures, although we don't divide the natures. The second point is anything one nature does or either nature does, the person of Christ does. For example, Jesus can say, before Abraham was, I am. Now, obviously, he was eternal in his divine nature. But Jesus does not in the New Testament say, in my divine nature, I am eternal. In my human nature, I am, I am uh, finite. He doesn't say that. He is one person. So anything either nature does, the person of Christ does. And therefore, he is able to say, before Abraham was born, I am. And so it applies to the person of Christ. Now, uh, we, we, we use this kind of a language all the time as well. For example, I, uh, when I was doing these slides, it is my fingers that typed out these slides. But uh, if somebody comes and asks me this question, Raven, who made these slides? I would not say my fingers did that. I would say I did that. Um, I had lunch this afternoon. I, if somebody asked me the question, Raven, did you have lunch? I would never say my mouth ate lunch. I would say, yes, I had lunch. We use this language all the time and Jesus used that language as well. And the New Testament writers also use that kind of a language where when either nature does it, it is the person of Christ doing it. And, and therefore, when Jesus uh, sleeps in the stern of a boat as regards his human nature, the gospel writers still go on to say that it is Jesus who's sleeping. And the next moment he gets up and as regards his human nature, he calms the storm and the winds. The gospel writers say that it is Jesus who calmed the storm. So we can make a distinction in what either nature does, but what either nature does, the whole person of Christ does. So please remember that that's how we, that's how we uh, say it. The next one, titles that remind us of one nature can be used of the whole person. Titles that remind us of one nature can be used of the whole person. And obviously titles like the Lord of Glory and the word Lord, Curios, uh, can be applied to his divine nature, but they can be used of his whole person. And that's why Paul writes like this. He says, they would, if they had known what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory is a title that is applied specifically to his divine nature. But Paul does not say that I'm applying this title to the divine nature. No, he's talking about 
the crucifixion of Jesus there, which means he's talking about one person. So he says, if they had known what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You're talking about crucifixion and you're talking about the Lord of glory in the same sentence, which means titles that can be applied to one nature can be used of the whole person. So if you can call uh, Jesus, the son of David, as regards his human nature, because he had a human genealogy, you can apply the title to the whole person of Jesus because it is one person, Jesus. Notice, without confusion, without change, without division and without separation. You don't separate out these two natures. In the same way, the word Lord can be used of the person of Christ, although it is specifically used of the divine nature. And that's why uh, Elizabeth, uh, even before the birth of Jesus, she says, as John the Baptist leaps in her womb, she says, why should the mother of my Lord come to visit me? So either nature titles can be applied to the person of Jesus. So this is, this is all I want to say. I, could, I did touch upon most aspects uh, as best as we could. And uh, I didn't want to push it further because it's already a little heavy. I didn't want to push it further into uh, more, uh, more heavy material. So I tried my best and you'll have to understand my challenge here. This is the simplest way in which you can do this. Uh, if you go simpler than this, it becomes heresy once again. And we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be guilty of any heresies. We want to be orthodox. We want to present the person of Christ correct uh, for our worship, for our understanding, for our, uh, for our heart to love him more. And so this is the easiest way to do it. I've taken the most easy way of doing it. Uh, I will be uh, more than willing to answer questions, not just in this session, but later on when we meet face to face or you message me or call me up. Um, we can do that, but if you don't, if you haven't understood all of it, it's okay. Don't be disappointed. Uh, don't be discouraged. I think uh, if you go through it again and again, you will get a hold of it very well. But suffice it to say that in this session, we need to understand that it is one person and two natures coming together into union, and that is called hypostatic union. Two natures, this, you can distinguish them but you can't separate them. You can't divide them. And what one nature does, the other nature does not do. Anything either nature does, the whole person does. We need to understand that. I hope that clarifies a lot of things. At least it has moved you in the direction of right Christology. And, uh, and I, I can take questions from you guys now. Go ahead, please. Anna, um, I, can, can you hear me, Anna? Yes. Is there a uh, is there some sort of an uh, an example from from uh, from the world that that can help elaborate a hypostatic union? I'm sorry. Is there an example from from John what? John John one one to fourteen? We saw that yesterday. Were you in the class yesterday? No, no. Okay, we we saw that yesterday. He's the God of incarnation. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, full of grace and truth and we beheld his glory. We also saw Philippians 2, who being the very form of God, did not consider himself equality with God, something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very morphe, the same word used, taking the very nature of a servant, fully man. And he, made, and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Um, Hebrews 1 talks about the same thing. And then Colossians 1 talks about the same thing. So uh, throughout the New Testament, it's a consistent doctrine that is taught 
by the New Testament writers. Of course, the New Testament writers don't systematize it like I've done here. The Bible is not a systematic book in that sense. We try to put the verses together for our understanding and try to systematize the doctrine, uh, but uh, it's all scattered all over the New Testament. It's, 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 uh, there's a plethora of evidence about the two natures coming together in one person. I understand. Uh, however, my, my question is, is that is hypostatic union um, a, a, a biblical term? Yeah, is it just biblical or is it also evident in the universe outside? What is hypostatic union, Shashank? From what you, from what you said, another. No, two you tell me that. that. What is it? The the two natures that coexist. The two natures coming together in one person. So how how do you see that in nature outside? That that was my question because I I, I didn't want to uh, delve into any wrong ideas. A no, lot of I, people. No, my question is, what do you mean by seeing that in nature? Because this is this is a unique thing in the person of Christ. That's why I mentioned by saying that. We are human beings and we just have one nature, human nature. Jesus is the only human being who has two natures, a divine nature and a human nature, because he's actually a divine person, the second person of the Trinity, who took upon a human nature. And it is the wedding of these two natures in one person that is called hypostatic union. So my question would be, just to make you think, not to, not to vilify you or anything, that's not my intention, just to make you think, how do you see that in nature when this is something unique only to the person of Christ. No, then you can't observe it. Yeah. Gee, no. Also, um, I, I had just one more question in regards with uh, the, just a clarification. This is not a question that when Jesus prayed to the Father, it was his human uh, nature That's that right. was. That's right. Uh, it was in his humanity, it was his spiritual life, his religious life. Uh, but see, again, go back to my first point. What one nature does, the other nature does not do. But what either nature does, the person of Jesus does. Correct. So you don't have to say that Jesus in his human nature prayed. You say that Jesus prayed. Correct. Okay. okay. So, let me, so let me ask you one question here. Do we, do we worship the divine nature of Jesus or the human nature of Jesus? We, Jesus as a whole. That's right. Very good. That's a good answer. We worship Jesus who is divine and who is human. Thank yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I have a question from Elena here on the chat. Since Jesus is still fully man and fully God, uh, just just one uh, one clarification, not just for Elena but for all of you. Please don't use the word fully when you talk about at least from this class on. Please don't use the word fully when you refer to the divine nature or the human nature, because you're not talking about degree here. That's Greek God's concept. You are talking about ontology. So talk about truly human nature and a truly divine nature. So from now on, we're going to use a language. He was truly human and he was truly divine. All right. Okay. That's just a clarification. So Elena says, since Jesus is truly human and truly divine still, even after his ascension, doesn't that mean his humanity is also infinite? The answer is no. Uh, the answer is he is still localized uh, in his humanity. Although he has a glorified body, he is still localized in his humanity. And therefore, uh, the angels uh, at the ascension said he's going to come back in the very same way that you saw him going to heaven. He's going to come back as a man. We, we can spot him at one particular place as he comes back and that's going to be our rapture. Uh, but in his, as regards his divine nature, he's uh, omnipresent, omnipotent and all of that. But again, coming back, what either nature does, the person of Jesus does. And you can say right now that it is Jesus who's seated at the right hand of God. 
Uh, no, his uh, humanity cannot be infinite. Uh, that is not possible. That, that's a contradiction in terms. Humanity by definition is finite. We are localized, we are finite in every sense. The third question, tomorrow would we be discussing Christology in connection with Trinity? Probably not, I, no, there's no class tomorrow by the way. I come back on Monday. Uh, I would like to look at the atonement of Christ, some of the views of the atonement, his death on the cross for us, very important, please don't miss out. I wanna look at the resurrection of Christ. I wanna look at if there is time, the offices of Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ as a prophet, as a priest and a king. And I also wanna look at the sinlessness of Christ, the impeccability of Christ as we call it. Thank you. Uh, any other questions, please? Now, if nobody asks a question, I will either assume that you've understood everything or you've not understood anything. That'll be very disappointing to me. So well, at least, um, at least encourage me, uh, ask me questions, please. Yeah, go, on, go, on, Jean, go on. Is that Gene or John? Okay. I guess was. Oh, Gene, Gene uh, go ahead. I asked anyway, starting. Okay, uh, so Raven, with regard to the Lord's Supper, we talk about a body which is broken. Mm -hmm. uh, the reference is then to the uh, the divine nature or uh, to the or human nature. Okay, uh, you tell me uh, what is the body that was broken on the cross? The human nature. This human body. This human body was broken for us on the cross. But again, coming back, it is the person of Christ who died for us, who's both human and divine, right? So uh, that's why I went to the point of saying that although Christ cannot and did not die in his divine nature, because the person of Jesus died, somehow these two natures were part of that experience. That's all I want to say and not go further. Now, we are humans, you know, I don't think even in heaven we can understand any, anything more than what I'm using here as language. Uh, I don't want to push that language and get into any heresy, but I just want to say that somehow these two natures uh, participated in that experience because the person of Jesus died. Uh, but, but with reference to your question, yes, it is referring as a symbolism to the human body that was broken for us on the cross. Yes, John. Yeah, um, I have just one quick question. Mm -hmm. Was um, uh, first, uh, I just had a, a clarification also uh, continuing to Jean's uh, part of the question. Mm -hmm. uh, was uh, so when Jesus uh, suffered the scourging and all that pain on the cross, mm -hmm. um, uh, that would be the human, uh, uh, human, or do we say it's a, uh, as a whole? I mean, the divine nature also suffered as part of that because in I mean, in connection to this, in the cross, uh, uh, it uh, the divine nature also shared, right? So, in the in this scourging and the pain that Jesus went through, uh, would would the divine nature have? I mean, I feel as if it's a human it's, nature. It's but the same. It's the same answer, John, that uh, we give to anything else about the experiences of Jesus, right? Uh, in his human nature, he felt pain. He suffered. And uh, he, he was brutalized and bruised. His back was pulverized because of the, the scourging. Um, now, again, I want to say that what either nature does, the person of Christ does. And that's why the gospel writers write, 
it was Jesus who was scourged, right? The gospel writers don't write mm. that it is the human nature of Jesus that was scourged because what either nature does, the person of Christ does. So we can, it is perfectly all right to use the language that Jesus suffered, that okay. Jesus was scourged, that Jesus felt the pain. And that's why I again say this, that somehow uh, his, both his human and divine nature shared in that experience. Although I would strongly go on again and say his divine nature cannot experience pain. It's a mystery. We can't understand it. And that's why I want okay. to emphasize that again and again. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that was just, uh, uh, that was not my question. It was leaning on Jean's question. And I, oh my. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now my, uh, the question that I had in mind uh, was, um, so uh, Jesus uh, in his human nature did not know everything, right? Because um, that's, that's correct. It is a couple is a of finite, times. Yeah. That's why Luke says in Luke 252, um, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor before God and men. He, he learned the language. His mother had to teach him alphabets, Hebrew alphabets, Aramaic alphabets. He, his mother had to teach him vocabulary and all of that. He grew, he was just a truly human. That's what we've been affirming, right? He was truly yeah. human in the sense that he went through all the experience that, that you and I went through as human beings in terms of upbringing, in terms of growing up. Um, he, he, he had all kinds of experiences except the nature of sin. He didn't have a sinful nature. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, in, so uh, I think just adding on to that one, like when, uh, when James and John um, said uh, they wanted to uh, be, I mean, uh, James and John's mother asked for uh, them to be seated at his left and right hand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He also said, uh, Jesus said, it's not for me to decide on that. Right. That's right. So, th and then I think somewhere also what I was thinking about was uh, in Zacharias death also, um, uh, Zacchaeus, yeah. Zacchaeus. Yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. Wait. In Lazarus' death, mm -hmm. uh, he he mentioned something like um, uh, um, that that is not uh, no. It does not lead to death, right? That that sickness is not leading to death, and then um, so basically, what I'm trying to think is here is that uh, there were some things that were unknown to Jesus in his human uh, or uh, na uh, nature, right? Uh, and in, in the same con context, on the, in the boat when he was sleeping, uh, he did not know that the storm was happening, uh, and uh, and only when the disciples came and called him, he got up. Uh, from his weariness, and then he went and he calmed the storm. Uh, so, um, does that mean that uh, 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 when Jesus was on earth, um, there were uh, things that he did not know completely, uh, which was hidden from him, and he, just his human nature, uh, just his divine nature knew about it, but it was not known to him as part of his divine nature, uh, as part of his human nature? Um, that would be correct, because he was okay. truly human. And therefore, he needed to learn just like any one of us. Uh, but he also had a divine nature. Now, uh, now this is getting a little... To answer this question, I need to explain the wills in Jesus. You know, you have the divine will, you have the human will, you have the divine center of consciousness, you have the human center of consciousness. But for the purposes of this study, I don't want to get into that. But I just want to say uh, that, uh, that Jesus... Uh, in his human nature, 
in his human nature, did not know where the hammer was if it was hidden. He had to go and search for it. Uh, th that's exactly where that's exactly where uh, we when we when we talk about uh, inconfusedly the the human nature just because it comes in contact with the divine nature does not become a divinized human nature so that Jesus knows everything in his human nature. No, it doesn't happen that way. Raymond, okay. uh, uh, one question. In relation to that, uh, Jesus, when he was sleeping in the boat, it was a human nature. He was tired, he was sleeping. But then I, my question is, didn't, he know, didn't Jesus know before it says that there will be a storm? In the same way, Lazarus' death also, he, uh, Jesus knew that this death was not going to, this sickness was not going to, uh, going towards his death. He's going to uh, raise him up. So Jesus knew before it says everything or not is my question. Okay, so, so the thing is, um, again, um, in his divine nature, Jesus is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and all of those omnis, right? Mm -hmm. He knows everything in his divine nature. Now you have a divine nature. You have a divine will in Jesus. You have a human nature. You have a human mind and a human will in Jesus because he was truly human. And you have two centers of consciousness also in Jesus. In his human center of consciousness, you have divine center of consciousness. Uh, there is a certain omniscient knowledge in his divine center of consciousness. There is a certain limited knowledge in his human mind, in his human center of consciousness. So uh, in his human mind, he did not know that the storm was coming. But as regards his divine nature, he knew everything that was happening. In fact, he was upholding the entire uh, universe by the power of his word. But the gospel, right, again, coming back, anything either nature does, the person of Christ does. So because Jesus did not know and he was weary in his human nature, the gospel writers say that Jesus was sleeping. He was weary. And when he got up and uh, he saw the storm, and as regards his divine nature, he stopped the storm and stopped the winds. Uh, the gospel writers clearly at least uh, give an understanding that the disciples understood that he was divine. That's how I would put it. Uh, I don't want to get into a little higher level of things about those centers of will and consciousness. Uh, that'll create a more confusion already because we, we are already uh, past time. Just one more question I'll take. Uh, two more questions here. Before incarnation, did Jesus have the human nature? The answer is no. He was a spirit. He was a second person of the Trinity who took upon flesh. We studied John 1. The word took upon flesh. So that's the first time he had a human body at his incarnation in Bethlehem. Uh, next one. During the transfiguration time, was Jesus showing his divine nature to his disciples? Um, he was always showing his divine nature to his disciples. Whenever he performed a miracle, it was showing his divine nature, that he was divine too, that he was God too. Um, it's not just on the Mount of Transfiguration, but on the Mount of Transfiguration, there was a glorious grand setting what? where uh, okay. he was seen in glory. Uh, probably a preview of the resurrection and the glory that he was going to come back in. Oh my, one more question. Lijo Johnson, if there is time, might be a little out of context, but may also be related. When does, when the Bible says that we have glorified bodies, what does that mean? We will be, will we be glorified also? No, 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 not at all. We won't have two natures. Uh, always remember, we will never become divine. We will remain human. This body will be glorified in the sense, now we have flesh and blood, 
and a corruptible nature in the sense like if you put this body down, if the body dies, if you put it in the buried in the ground, it'll be decade, uh, you won't even see the bones and all of that. But we will have a glorified body in the sense that it'll be incorruptible. We will have an incorruptible nature. It'll be exactly like the body of Jesus uh, after he rose again from the dead. But we will never have the divine nature. We will never participate in the divine nature. In other words, we will never become gods. No problem. One last question and we'll close in prayer, please. Last question. And by the way, I'll send out all these uh, slides to you guys. Uh, take a look at that. And uh, if you have any questions, just let me know. Can we say Yahweh is the divine nature of Jesus? Uh, I know what you mean by that, but that is not a theologically right statement. Yahweh is the name of the being of God. And the being of God is shared by three distinct persons. So the first person of the Trinity, the father shares the being. That's why he's called Yahweh. The son also shares the entirety of the being. That's why he is also called Yahweh in the New Testament. The spirit also shares the entirety of the being. That's why he is also called Yahweh. Nature is something different. Yahweh is a name of the being. It is not the nature of the being. So that would not be a right theological statement. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, I hope this was helpful. Uh, if you did not understand. Okay, one more question has come. Can we? Oh, thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you. Can we close in prayer if there is nothing more? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, Philip, why don't you close in prayer? Right. Lord, Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for this wonderful time, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to, uh, to go through all the basic theology, Lord. We were studying about the heresy which was, uh, came uh, into the world, Lord, long back. But Lord, uh, even now there are some active heresies, but still, Lord, you have shown us the right word and right way to follow you. Lord, uh, help us to always uh, split the right and the wrong and understand through your word, Lord. And also we pray for each and every participant so that they don't have any doubts on this. If they have doubt, let them clarify also. And also we pray for Raven. Thank you for this. And thank you for helping him to do the study, Lord. We ask this prayer in the most precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, so don't, don't be disappointed if you don't have answers to certain questions. I'm always available. Reach out to me anytime and we can, we can uh, discuss on the phone if you have any questions. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Raven. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. No problem.